It's now been eight days since those shots were fired, killing two young women and injuring many, many more. And we're still very unclear about what exactly happened on the Danforth. You know, what was the actual motive? Right now, the conversation is mainly on gun violence. Politicians, you know, any of them talking about, you know, changing gun laws, banning handguns even though that would not have stopped this attack. There's also been conversations about mental illness. But couldn't it be both of those things? Could it also not be about gang issues, as the uh, killer's brother was alleged uh, to be in connections with gang activity? Or could it be that somehow this shooter was radicalized in some way? But to settle it, I think to to suggest that we know definitively what's going on or say it's settled or solved, I think it's dangerous to assume. I just think it's just too fluid at this point. I want to bring in Phil Gursky to this conversation. He's the president and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting. But here's what's unique about this fella. He has worked as a strategic analyst in Canadian intelligence for over 30 years. So he's worked with CSIS. He's worked with the OPP. And his specialty is in radicalization and things like homegrown terror. He joins me now. Hello, Phil. Hi, Alex. How are you this evening? I'm good, thanks. So over the last eight days, I know you've been watching what has been unfolding um, on Danforth. What's your view um, of where we're at in this investigation? What does what you're hearing or or not hearing tell you? Mm -hmm. Well, that's a really good question, and, and I like the, the remarks you made in, in, in your introductory comments is that there's a lot we don't know, and there's a little bit that we do know. Um, what seems to be clear to me at this point, and, and I, I must really caution that all this is subject to change. One thing I learned about being an analyst for 30 years is that if you're not open to new information and changing your views, you're not a very good analyst. So there clearly was some aspect of mental illness. That, I think, is, an, is accepted at this point. Okay? Right. There clearly was uh, some aspect of, um, call it gang, call it, the family certainly had troubles over the years. You mentioned the brother, mm-hmm. whom I, I, I apparently believe was in a coma following some kind of a drug incident. Yeah. So what we don't know, Alex, what we'll never know, unfortunately, unless there's some kind of manifesto that this, this guy left, is what was going through his mind. Uh, when he got that gun, you know, a Sunday evening on, on the 22nd, and went up and down the dance floor shooting, you know, apparently randomly. I've even seen one rumors that maybe he was an incel, like the guy that, on, on Young Street back in April. Yeah, I've seen nothing to, to, to support that theory in the open media, but I think that the, the, the bottom line, Alex, is that there's a lot that we don't know, and unfortunately, we, we may never know. All, not only because, not because of, because of some kind of conspiracy theory by the government, but because we simply will never find out. Do you find it interesting or, or um, unique that so little information was given up, up front? So when the shooting actually occurred, there kind of became this blackout of information. And putting aside the SIU, certainly there would have been a lot of information to be gleaned off of social media, certainly off of um, technology, computers and that. that. That will yield a lot of information to police. I, I hope so. I actually wasn't surprised by the lack of information. I was frustrated in the same sense that you are, many Canadians were, you know, in my previous life, I may have had access to information that would have shed light on what happened that tragic evening, but we weren't hearing a lot. But I wasn't surprised because if you are in law enforcement, at the time of the shooting, Toronto Police was the force of jurisdiction because of where it occurred. Mm -hmm. What they want to do is they want to make sure that they've begun their investigation, that they don't say anything publicly that can compromise the investigation. So if you recall back to what happened 
last, you know, we call last Sunday, Chief Mark Saunders wouldn't even, wouldn't even verify he was dead yeah. during the original, uh, which, which kind of shocked me. <laughs> everyone kind of thought he was dead. But I, I think you have to understand that when you're doing an investigation, you want to keep your cards close to your chest because you don't, you never know if, first, for example, somebody else was involved. Right. Um, are you going to lay charges at some point against someone who facilitated it or, or contributed to what happened? So if you if you let out too much too early, that in fact could have a very bad effect on your ability to gather enough evidence to lay charges and then bring possible, you know, um, compatriots to court. And and you don't want to do that as a law enforcement agency. Yeah. Now with all your experience uh, of, of radicalization and homegrown terror, this could still be categorized as terror. It just might not be in the traditional way that we have come to know it. Correct. Well. Well, yeah. Because I look what? at it, if you've got a gun and you're scaring people and, and those people yeah. would have been, that to me is terror. It doesn't necessarily have to come in the form of of, of, of a Muslim terror, of, of incel. Terror is terror to me. Well, well, <laughs> yes and no. Right. Um, terror is terror. But if you look at the Canadian Criminal Code, it's very, very specific. So right. Section 83.01 of the Criminal Code, it defines terrorism. Actually, it doesn't define terror. It defines an act of terrorism mm. uh, as a serious act of violence that is perpetrated for one of three reasons, political, ideological, or mm. religious motivation. And, and it's often really, really hard to prove that motivation clause. So we go back to what happened in, in April on Young Street. Was that an act of terrorism? Some say yes, some say no. So in the case of... of Mr. Maybe not by textbook, but I, I still would put that in the category of terror. Well, and, but and but not by the by the, the the criminal code or the textbook version. Yeah, I, yeah. I think what you're what you're what you're mixing up here is the you know the common yeah. person's definition of terrorism. Um, but when it comes to the Crown and the Public Prosecution Service of Canada, they're not going to lay terrorism charges until they can prove in court that the specific act was done because of one of those three motivations. So I, I agree with you that I think intuitively it was terrifying. Mm-hmm. Intuitively, you have a man with a gun walking down the Danforth shooting people apparently at random, and that's clearly a very horrifying experience. But when it comes, you know, the law is the law. They say sometimes the law is an ass, but the law is the law. Sure. And the way we've written our criminal code, and many other countries have, you know, have similar codes, is that you have to prove this motivation. And this is like, if you go back to the Bissonnette case in January 2017, mm-hmm. uh, was that terrorism? Some well, that, say, that's yeah, the mosque no. shooting in Montreal where, where six yeah, men were killed exactly. during prayer. Yeah, and some say yes, some say no. Some say he was simply a hateful, hate-filled young man. Others say he was a far-right extremist. I, I, again, you know, you know, we don't always get a 1,500-page um, manifesto like Anders Breivik in Norway back yeah. in 2012, right? We don't always know what goes in someone's head. And in this case, because the perpetrator is dead, you can't ask them. Sure. So unless they get a warrant... Um, and go through all of his, his his social media posts, his online posts, where there's some kind of clue as to why he did this, we may never know. Yeah, and that would be, I think, really unfortunate. And and going back to that case in the mosque, if you, if you can't pray in your place of worship uh, without a gunman coming in, again, I know by textbook it might not be terror, but I think most people would say absolutely that is a terror attack. Now, when you look at this case, there are a lot of complexities to it, um, because the brother who is said to be in a coma, um, had a couple of criminal charges. He was allegedly involved with gang activity, so he had access to guns. But mm-hmm. during the police investigation, we learned that um, it's complicated because the guy that got him bail was later arrested, and they seized $13 million worth of car- carfentanil, which is 
you know, if you've got fentanyl, time's up by, a f- it's right. that much stronger. What does that uh, tell you? I mean, that tells me that this young shooter would have had access to that life. Yeah, possibly. Um, depending on how close he was with his brother, depending on whether he shared his lifestyle, depending on whether his own mental illness either facilitated or went against that participation, mm-hmm. um, it, it's really hard to say at this point because we don't. there's so much that we don't know. And obviously we can't talk to the brother because he's in a coma, apparently. Mm-hmm. We can't talk to the perpetrator because he's dead. The family, not surprisingly, is not going to say a lot because of what, you know, they're now being, uh, you know, I mean, I mean Obviously, think of the victims, but but you know, think of the family. They have one son in a coma because he, he chose the wrong lifestyle. They have another son who's dead after having shot people, innocent people on on the dance floor on a lovely Sunday evening in July. So they're being a little bit tight-lipped about things. So, yeah, you know what, Alex? It, there's a lot of possibilities. I think going through people's mind right now. What I would caution against, and I've been following this on some of the social media, is the jumping to conclusions. And I've read some pretty outlandish theories in the past week or so as to what this is all about. And I just say to people, you know, I, I understand you want to know and you want to know now because of what happened. But, you know, if, if 32 years in intelligence taught me anything, yeah. is that you've you got to gather your information. You have to assess it for how reliable it is because, surprise, surprise, people say, say the wrong things on the Internet. I know this might be a shock to you. <laughs> um, you corroborate the information from multiple sources, and then you start, you know, draw, doing your analysis and drawing your conclusions. And the problem is, in this in this particular instance, we have almost nothing to go on, which is really, really hard to analyze and really hard to draw conclusions. Well, hopefully they found something. Um, just quickly before I let you go, um, then how do you solve it? If we don't know, I mean, we've got politicians out there banning guns and pushing for all these things, and I think to myself... Aren't we jumping the shark here a little bit? I mean, sounds great in theory, but banning handguns does not solve issues like this. And if we really want to solve any of it, you kind of got to wait. Yeah, I look at I've never been a fan of handguns personally. I mean, I, hunting rifles, I don't care. As a Canadian, I don't care. Um, I'm kind of with John Tory that no one really needs a handgun in Toronto or Canada, for that matter. But but you're right. I mean, you know, the guns are legal. We've got a, we have a neighbor, unfortunately, who has a bazillion handguns, yeah. and a lot of those come over the border illegally, illegally, a combination of the two. So I think it, you know, in the long run, other countries like Australia have banned weapons, and it has had a very significant effect on the gun rate. But we have a different circumstance here in Canada. It, 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 it's a knee-jerk reaction to what happened. It's not the first time there's been a call for a ban on handguns in this country. Just go back in the past couple of years. After every heinous attack, let's ban handguns, oh, yeah. let's ban handguns. And, 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 you know, and for the reasons I just said, it's really hard to do that. So it might feel good. And it might strike you. Yeah, let's just do that. But unfortunately, as you said, there's no simple solution to any of this. No, knee-jerk um, legislation never, ever works. Uh, Phil, thanks so much. Fascinating discussion. My pleasure, Alex. Thanks for calling. Appreciate your insight. That is Phil Gursky, and um, if you ever want to read some of the stuff that he says, you can. Last name spelling is G-U-R-S-K-I, Phil Gursky. And if you just kind of Google uh, his name, you'll come upon some of the things that he writes about and is involved in, um, and I think his analysis of this is, is fairly thoughtful. We'll be back here on Point. I'm Alex Pearson, and this is Global News Radio.